That's the thing. Pitch the load. Uh, I think we're off. <laughs> Hello. And welcome one and all to episode 13 of Fish on Friday. It's six o'clock British Standard Time, so let's just go and switch the other camera on before you forget. Mm. Wait a minute. Hiya. I was getting all nicely prepared and it just suddenly all became completely hectic as I tried to turn the camera around and last minute stuff. It's been a weird week, been a really, really, really busy week. Um, the album is all the audio masters done, locked off and today as part of my hecticated bounce ball, slip ball, pinball day was um, uh, I was on the phone to uh, the guys in Holland at Profact who are our kind of main guys who are dealing with the manufacturing and everything. The album and stuff's been manufactured actually in Czechland and it comes back and bits get put in, in Holland and then it comes back to us. Very international, very international. So today was um, talking to Callum and uh, Michelle in, um, in Holland and basically trying to get everything together so that we've got the vinyls got to go down and then we're doing a special kind of um, cut, special mastering on this. And Callum's organized it to be, uh, it's be mastered at half speed, which means you get incredible quality. Because obviously when you're putting the, the you're doing that cut down, it's like putting a half speed, just all the detail comes out. So that when you actually do the pressing, go to the mother and, oh, Blacker to the mother and impress and stuff, then you've got an exceptional piece of audio. So the problem being that once you make the lacquers which go across the check line, so the lacquers are made from the, 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 the master down in, in, um, down in London. Once the lacquers are made, they start to degrade. And if you leave them lying about, they just actually degrade because the, the kind of material is so, it's, it's unstable, right? So you have to get it across and, and get whacked in and, and out. So hopefully we'll get the, the test pressings back from Czechland, um, hopefully then by the end of next month. And uh, it's like I said, it's just getting all the times together. And that's, it's just part of the parcel. It's like, you know, when the musicians have finished recording, they walk away and, you know, Callum has now just about got it wrapped up. But I mean, for myself, you know, sitting here, it's just, the beginning of the next big phase and this is the phase I don't enjoy that much is uh, because you just have to keep your eye on the ball 
all the time. And um, we've been getting lots of things together. As I said, it was exciting during the week because, you know, I pressed download on the PC and I realised that the album was finished. And it was a kind of really, it was a strange feeling just pressing download, knowing that what was coming at you was actually the album you'd been working on for the last few years, right? three years worth of work. And then I got it together and someone and I opened up a, a bottle, a nice bottle of red wine on the other night and we played it back in full and it's wonderful. And uh, it was nice to hear my mum because she's through in the back room and my mum actually said uh, just the morning, she said, I think the album's really good. So all your whistle test, definitely. But yeah, so it's kind of, there's a, it, it's strange for me because you've got a sense of completion that you've done the album, but then, like as I said, you've got so much coming at you now in so many ways. And this week was all sorts of stuff. Like, um, I've still not had any word about the, um, the touring in October, November. I've got no idea, you know, whether it's off or on. I mean, everybody's saying it's off. This is what I'm leaning towards, that it is going to be off. And, uh, you know, my agent is already looking at dates for next October, November, because everybody, as I said before, who's lost shows in, in this period is now looking to replace shows. And you've got bands that are coming out on their touring cycle normally who are also looking for shows. So it's an absolute zoo out there. So I had all that, and there were some crazy journeys in there that, you know, I, I was objecting to, to my German agent, Patrick. If you're watching, hi Patrick, this is your spot. Um, he had us, we've got three, three on means three shows in a row, right? Three on, two on is two in a row. Then I, so I've got a three on, day off, three on, day off, three on, day off, three on, day off, in this kind of section of the tour. And after the second batch of three, um, my agent, I think, I think he was drunk with a dartboard with a map of Europe on it. And, um, this particular dart, we were, we were in Wuch, which is in the middle of Poland, right? Right in the center of Poland, right? It's, um, it's, not, it's not off the beaten track. I mean, it's a, it's a major place. It was, great. it was a great place to play. But, you know, it's not anywhere near kind of like the middle of hand, handy for Europe to go up to Scandinavia. And I have a show in a place called Skin in Norway, which I've never heard of before until it appeared on, on my tour itinerary like for the previous tour. So now we're supposed to go from Wuch all the way up to Skien, which is above Oslo, right? And I'm and Dominic, my, my production manager, and I went, what the? And it was, um, we went back and said, we can't do this. He said, it's, it's, it's impossible to do. And he came back and says, I've checked it on Google, right? And he said, it's, 20 hours, so if you leave at midnight after the show in Woods, you should be in skiing round about 11 o'clock at night. Now this is the day off. So we are like 20 hours on a bus, on a day off in the middle of a 12 run with, with two days off in there, right? And I said, thank you very much. I said, I'd like to know if it's so doable, will you be joining us on the bus? So I got another itinerary in today, so which has been moved and it's now Warsaw, which is only an hour and a half away or something from which, two hours away from which. So anyway, so this is all kind of part and parcel of my day. 
the microwave boat today, so I was listening to jazz music, very nice jazz music down the phone to the insurance company. So the microwave guy is coming to fix it next week. I lost 13 Brussels sprout seedlings to a bloody mouse uh, and then about two days ago. And then there's, what else is there going on? This, um, I've got a thousand words written for the 3,000 word sleeve notes for the album. Mark Wilkinson, I am working, I am working, every word counts, every word counts. And there's been just loads of stuff going on. I've got the five to one mixes. Avril, I know you're listening. Andy, hello. Avril and Andy, hi there. I will, I promise you, listen to the five to one mixes this weekend. I've just been overrun, right? But I'm going to listen to that. Steve Vances, right? Marimba. Steve Vances, I will listen to the live versions of the four tracks for the Blu-ray. I promise I'll do that. Dave Barris, I promise I'll be out there on Tuesday to watch the edit and, you know, we can go through everything then and then that's the video edit because that's all done. We shot some more uh, footage um, on Tuesday and that was my inserts for uh, the, um, the documentary side that's been shot for Mark Wilkinson. I've got my own interview thing with uh, Will Smith, I will, and... Then there's the, the artwork, which is Mark, which has been filmed by David Lamb and bits uh, Dave Barris and Scott Mackay. And that's going to involve Mark being filmed by David Lamb, who did the Garden of Remembrance video. And he's put in, um, I think he's actually bringing the, the entire artwork thing together. And I'll be corrected. And um, so he's actually doing some work, Mark doing the, the penultimate thing that I told you about last week which is the final image for the hard book cover which is the special special it's the big it's the closing of the huge circle so anyway Dave's filming that and then I also this last week filmed uh, my insert for uh, the, the video stuff so there's um there's all that to be done so there's three kind of different documentaries there's the the Will Smith interview the artwork one and the making of the videos I've not seen the This Part Is Over thing yet, but I'm hoping to be seeing something next week. So, as I said, it's just nuts at the moment. Just, it's bringing everything together and it's a really important part because it is spinning plates. I mean, you're spinning plates, you know, trying to keep your eye on everything. And, um, and you do stupid things like, you know, you go to the computer and you, you're trying to fill the pond up outside and then you forget about it for three hours and the next minute... <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. But the other day, I had just one of those lockdown days, and it was, uh, you know, I get, I get, I mean, you, you know what they're like, you know, when you just get really claustrophobic and you, you just get really antsy, and, and, and it was, it was a day when there was nothing going right. It was, you know, my PC, you know, me, tech, you know the score. So I was trying to download some photographs that I'd taken for Mark Wilkinson for the book to try to get them from the phone onto the PC and would it join up, would it talk? And I was an hour and a half doing that in between a load of other gumph that was coming at me. But, was, uh, but we've got the radio pluggers still on board, so um, that's a good thing. So we've got a run for the Garden of Remembrance single, which is coming out on the 24th of July. And uh, that's the same day as the pre-order, so that's a good thing. It's all good, you know, it's just, um, 
it's time consuming. I mean, I was up till uh, about nine o'clock, half nine last night. In fact, it was 10. And I had to get all the lyrics. So I had to sit and listen to the whole album and go through all the lyrics to make sure, to correct all the ad-libs. And there was like certain things that I sung when I was in the studio that weren't part of the, the lyrics. So I'm like adding things in and taking things out and getting it all fonted correctly. So that was, you know, listening to the entire album and having to go over to make sure you got all the words right. So that was all done. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. It's in that, you know, you just, it's like, you must do this now. Right, it's now. We need it now. So. And, um, it's been fun. Hectic. But, uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend. You know, it's Father's Day on Sunday. And, you know, to set the occasion, it's just going to be absolutely down the rain. It's, uh, Similar across our end, our end of the country. I know this. I know there's been some bad stuff going out there. Steve Vance has phoned me up uh, during the week, and uh, similarly, a lightning bolt. Uh, hi, Steve. Again, a lightning bolt missed his house and hit, uh, um, hit uh, an, el an electric transformer forty meters away from his house. But he thought his Mac and everything had gone down. I was just sitting there going, "I'm really glad I've got the live mixes up already." <laughs> Sorry, mate. John Jeremarota, hope, hope you're well, love to mum, thank you, she's doing really good, she's been out weeding uh, this week, in between uh, rainstorms and uh, scorching heat, she's doing very, very well out there, I think she managed to weed about 40 square metres over this week, which is great, and uh, she loves it, I've never known anybody love weeding as much as my mum, and before anyone sends any emails in or anything, no, you're not getting her, she's our weeding machine. She belongs to the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden. Yeah. Ray Rooks, how do you from mainland? Hiya. Ryder Tomasin, music with a heart and soul. Thank you. Yuli Venso. Uh, Tusa de Martini, is it an Erdinger? Yes. Yes, I'm not sponsored by them at all, right? But Erdinger, it's, 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 it is my preferred beer now, actually. I was always an 80 shilling guy, but I'm loving this. And, um, I'm not a saint by any means. I mean, I've not kind of stopped drinking completely or anything like that. Like I said, you know, when we got the album through, it was like a nice wee San Emilian was, went down very well. But it was, uh, but it's interesting to see how after being off alcohol for five months, how your, your kind of relationship with changes and suddenly you're not guzzling it down. You know, we're finding we pull small glass, smaller glasses and things. You know, it's cool. But some more is needed it this week because there's been, um, you know, as you know, the, the shop is open and it's all running fan-dabby-dozy. Um, there's still things get thrown up every now and again and, you know, but we're dealing with them. You know, the, the smaller things, they're not going to, they're not derailing us. They're nitty-gritty, sand-in-the-machine stuff, but, you know, it's working and... You know, Simona is, is getting to grips with it, which is fantastic. It's, uh, you know, she's done brilliantly. I mean, neither Simona, my wife and I, right, neither of us, right, are particularly good with computers. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, right? And, um, uh, and it was, uh, you know, suddenly Simona's through there having to deal with all this program, click through, click through, you know? And uh, I really felt for her, really felt for her. 
which was one of the other reasons why I bought a, a, a wee bottle of Prosecco the other night, a proper one, proper fan Davidozzi one. Angela Ferrezzi, hi from Italy, hello, Darren Gelder, can you remember coming to the rooftop gardens in Wakefield in the 80s? I can not. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that was, and no doubt you'll come on the line and, and tell me, but I'm trying to think it was after an HMV. It might have been after an HMV thing. I remember it was up there somewhere that we bumped into uh, uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and um, I can't remember that. That's going to come back. That programme is running and it will come through. But Wakefield Gardens, it could have been after an HMV signing session, but it's uh, remind me. Right? Malcolm Reese, Funny Farm, great name, yeah. Funny Farm, this was the story. It was, um, I moved up here in 1989. The story kind of behind this place is that... Uh, when I, I decided, when I, when I left Marillion, I had to get, I had to sell my house down there and stuff. And I've, I've done this in, in previous episodes, but I'll roughly retrace. That's a problem. We were in Dungarees and when I left Burrock. Um, when I left Marillion, it was, uh, I was down in Gerrard's Cross in Buckinghamshire. And I had a, had a massive mortgage on the house, you know. I mean, none of the bands were kind of, well off by any stretch of the imagination. And when I left the band, um, uh, I did it in a very, um, I was very immediate. It was, I was very impetuous with the way I left the band, which is another story entirely, entirely. So anyway, when I left the band, I had to sell this because I had zero income. My wages were stopped because I left the band. Everyone was, I had zero, right? So I had to sell the house and at the same time my mum and dad were looking for a place and I'd thought about moving to Bath or Bristol, which seemed a nice little enclave for artists and things. I thought about moving up into the Birmingham area, but I mean, I, I had no idea and I didn't really know anybody about there and I, I'd been up here during the Down the Glass sessions when, when I was writing with Marillion on that, the album that never was. And, uh, and I kind of, I really got to feel my roots again. And we looked at houses in various areas, but when it came down to it, my mum and dad had been looking up here to see, to find a place. And what it was, was I wanted a, a house where I could bring musicians in that they could stay with me so that when I brought my session musicians in to write the album and rehearse, I had places for them to stay. I didn't have to spend a lot of money on, um, uh, on accommodation. That was kind of the big drive. And I wanted the rehearsal room, so I needed outbuildings. And my mum and dad found this, this place outside Harrington, and it was perfect. It was very run down. And it took an awful lot of work to get this place turned around to where it is. And um, it was... Uh, I've lost the point of the question. <laughs> I missed that one. General's Cross. I'll come back to it. But I mean, when I got the rehearsal room built up, it was only a matter of time before the idea came, let's turn it into a, a studio. But I mean, uh, this is why I kind of ended up in this, this kind of neck of the woods. I'll roll, get back to normal. General Antelow from Australia. Kenny Gordon, looking back, would you have done differently or better? Lots of stuff, but the way I look at it, it's like a lot of these things, you know, without going to specifics, it's like you learn from them. You know, you kind of, that's the way I look at it. You know, I'm in a good place at the moment. 
and you know I'm happy you know Simona and I have got a, a, a great house we've got a very our lifestyle is not expensive by any stretch of the imagination we're happy with what we've got and um, that's kind of where it's at so you know regarding regrets and things it's like I'll write about them in, in the autobiography you know when it comes out about you know what went on and what happened things but uh, no, there's no really regrets. No. John Malloy from Liverpool. Lee Simpson, Pelican Club, Aberdeen. <laughs> Ray Rooks, happy Father's Day. Thank you, Ray. Not yet. Siobhan Freeborn, hi Siobhan, hi Siobhan. Belfast. Alan Bailey, careful of those fish balls. Yes. It's a, it's a thing with dungarees, isn't it? Because it's like the pull up, so it's like, you know, when you move about. Things get caught, and it can become very painful as they try and unravel themselves. Zoe Serrano, hello, what's your top three albums? I don't know. It's so one of the things I always hate is like when, when somebody puts you in the spot and goes, what's your 10 favourite albums? My 10 favourite albums change all the time. I don't have, I mean, there's albums that will always be kind of kicking around the 10, like Who Quadrophini or something, Johnny Mitchell Blue or Ajira or something like that, or John Martin Solidaire, I mean, but there's, you know, Yes Fragile, I mean, people go like, what's your favourite Yes album? Well, I like Yes songs, because it's got the first three albums on it played live brilliantly, you know? But um, it's the one thing I always hated, you know, what's your, your, your top albums? Because they do change with your mood, or kind of, you know. Did you get on with the guy? Oh, I missed that one. Kenny Gordon, did you see the franchise in your relationship with your former ruling co colleagues happening? And looking back, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Yes, I did see it coming, absolutely. It was coming at me like an express train. And um, uh, no, I wouldn't have done anything differently back there. I've, because it did. It's what I'm talking about regrets and things, you know? I thought you might. I went, I had the litigation with EMI after the Vigil album, right? And I went into Polydor, blah, blah, blah. I moved out into Dick Brothers and everything kind of exploded, fell apart. Some things went, exploded the right way, some exploded the wrong way. And at the end of the day, I'm here, you know? So it's like, you know, if I'd stayed in Marillion, what would have happened, you know? It's like, I became what I am today with this attitude. The guy that was in Marillion in 1987 had a very different attitude to life. And, you know, it's, uh, there was a lot of things that I've learned on the journey, right? Which is why I'm here making the albums that I make now. And I'm really happy with that. Um, the success thing doesn't even come into play, you know? And um, it's what you're happy doing. And that's why I say I've, I've not really got any regrets. There's some things that I've done that, you know, they happened. And that's the way I look at them. It happened, you know? So. <laughs> Billy and Johnny from Hale and Bass, Gene Welder, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kevin Van Dock, top 10 rotation? No, right? I'll show you some bits and pieces. I might, I might go there. I, one of the reasons I was nearly late today, right, because I was trying to, I, I wanted to, to talk about autographs, right? And uh, I was, 
looking through the, the, the collection and I was reminded <laughs> that at some point during this lockdown, I must get onto that to-do list, one of which says, alphabetize your vinyl collection because I could not find, I was going nuts looking for this stuff. But I found some things, right? And that's one of the wonders. One of the beauties, like when you don't have your vinyl collection alphabetized, that sometimes when you go and you go, oh, I forgot I had that. And you pull out and you go, wow. I've done that quite a few times actually with that. It's, it's like, it's kind of like a lucky dip in a way. And sometimes it's, it's great. And, uh, and I found one and I didn't even know I had this, right? Autographs. Uh, Personally, me, I've never been kind of really into autographs. I have very, very few autographs. The Summer Louis Treasure, one of which is Alex Harvey's, which was given to me by my, my great Belgian friend, may he rest in peace, Patchouli. And he gave me an Alex Harvey autograph that he got in the kind of, towards the end of Alex's career. And you can't really make out that it's Alex Harvey written on the paper, but he assures me, and I believe Patchouli completely, that this was Alex Harvey, and it's kind of a, a scroll, right? And I keep it because A, Patchouli gave it to me, and, you know, if it is Alex Harvey's, then that's cool, right? But I never kind of chased autographs. I mentioned before that I'd hung about for an autograph of Yes at the back of the Glasgow Apollo uh, way back in about 77 or something. And you know, maybe that's what put me off. <laughs> I don't know, but I never did it. I got Pierre Gabriel's autograph, which is on the back of a ticket from 1980 that I got in the Odeon. But the ticket's up in the wall. His autograph's on the back of it, but I prefer to have the name of the concert rather than his autograph on it. And the fact that his autograph's on it doesn't... It's, it's kind of... You know, maybe it's because I've met a lot of people since and, you know, I've, I've, I've never kind of... Um, I've, I, I've never, I can't remember actually going up to say something, well, can I get your autograph? Selfies are the, the thing now. I mean, definitely selfies. I mean, I've done selfies with, with, with people. And um, they're cool. But I mean, but autographs is like, uh, um, it's, it's a weird thing. I had Pierre Gabriels. I remember the first one, the first famous people I ever remember being, oh, I did, I tell you what I've got. Oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, not Roy Castle. Uh, not Rod Hull, Lenny the Lion, right? And I can't even remember. Now this is, now here's a test for you. Right? Now here's a test for you. This is going to bring out the real, the oldies in this, this one, right? Lenny the Lion, right? I saw him, uh, uh, Lenny the Lion, by the way, was a glove puppet, right? It was a lion, obviously, right? So, I was a lion and a great big nose and a big white face and a big happy smile on his face. And the guy that was with it, I can't remember his name, but he was a real dour looking, you know what I mean? I mean, anyway, you're working with a big orange lion, right? And he's like, and he had this greased hair and stuff. And I saw him at the King's Theatre. I saw this act at the King's Theatre and, um, in, in Edinburgh, right? And we went backstage and I met the lion and I got, and I had the autograph, right? I don't, I don't know whether it was the lions, right? Because his paws were a bit weird, you know? Because like, could he get his hand in, right down the inside of the, the lion's up? Yeah, Lenny, so you're saying it, Lenny. <laughs> and I had that, that that when I was a kid. It was on a little frame in my bedroom. It was Lenny the Lion, to Derek Lenny the Lion. <laughs> but, uh, and then I remember meeting Nazareth. Uh, 
and it must have been about 1970, and we went into what used to be called Turnhouse Airport. Edinburgh Airport used to be called Turnhouse Airport, and it was a little, a tiny little, it was a couple of buildings that you walked out on the runway and climbed up the stairs. And that was in the days, I think, of BOAC and things. And um, we went to pick up some friends from Belgium. Hello, Viral, if you're there. It was um, our mum and dad. And Nazareth were there, and I kind of walked in, and I didn't really know Nazareth, but it was obviously a rock band. They had, like, flare trousers and all looked, you know, elegantly wasted, I think the term is. And uh, it was, I remember Dan McCaffrey being there with the big hair and stuff. I didn't get their autograph or anything, but it was like, I remember, I kind of went up and went, hello. Oh, they never remembered. <laughs> I've, uh, but yeah, being autographs, I mean, I've, I've, I've never kind of been into collecting them. I did the, the album I was looking for, right, and the, the collection that I was going to show you with on the autograph theme was Rick Wakeman's, because I stood outside Bruce, Bruce's record store in Edinburgh, and Rick was doing a, a signing session, and it was for... Uh, um, was it Knights of the Round Table? Or Mysteries? Well, it was the one that had the big globe in the front. It was a really daft idea for an album cover. Basically, there was a mystery imagination. This is another little test for you. Set me up. Lenny Bennett. Terry Hall! Terry Hall was the guy that had his hand up the inside of that orange lion. Right, Terry Hall. Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall. Uh, Jerry Hall. <laughs> Doc Bob Davison, Terry Hall and Lenny the Lion legend. Whatever happened to Lenny the Lion? It's going to be a documentary on Channel 4, isn't it? Lenny the Lion? Son, found in Colombia. Uh, Tom, oh yeah. Anyway, I've completely lost my, my plot here. It's not an alcoholic beer, I promise. Autographs, Nazareth. Rick Waitman, the album. Inside the album, you got this bit of silver foil. And what you did was you rolled it in a tube and you put it in the center of the album. And it was like all, there was all the, this, the holes, all the people that were around the cover, all you could see it all in the tube. You know, it was rubbish. <laughs> I didn't like it. You know what I mean? A little bit of foil. Oh, look, there's Rick Waitman on the bit of foil up there. And he looks all squeegee on the side of the cover, but he looks great on that tube. And I had the album signed by him. And, uh, and I got a photograph from A&M Records. They had an A&M Records 10 by 8 black and white that we used to give away with Marillion when I was with EMI. And, um, and it was, uh, I went to see him that night. And, um, oh, sorry, what? Yeah, all right, yeah, please. Second one. That's it. No, no, no. No, no, second one. That, over. That, second one. That's it. Press that one. <laughs> Ding! Please welcome on stage. Wonder what this is going to look like in the PC because it's. Uh... Oh no, it's a bit late. So, Rick Waitman autographs, CNM records, black and white. And I was looking for uh, for that album in the collection. I came across another one. Right, this is great. I didn't even know I had this. And I know there's going to be people that are going, oh. Power Windows by Rush, right? Signed by all three members of the band. I forgot I had it. 
and I got given it at the end of the tour, right? And it's got a hole in it, right? Now, these albums, some of you might remember, right? But in America, when you had promo albums, right? They used to mark them, mark them right? So that you, you, they, people knew they were promo and some of them put like, you know, circles around them. And the other ones that came across uh, to the UK when they were selling seconds. So you get some of the big uh, kind of distribution kind of one-stop shops would sell a lot of stuff on export and they had to mark them uh, to do with publishing being paid and stuff like that. So like they weren't liable for uh, publishing. And they used to cut the corners off them. And I used to go into record shops in Edinburgh and you'd be going through and I bought a, a band called Starcastle. I think they were, I think they were a Canadian band as well. And uh, I remember buying a Starcastle album and I was like going, I was taking up to go, excuse me mate, but cut the corners off. I said, that's why it's a pound 99, son, right? And we, I found loads of uh, vinyl back then from America that had the corners cut off. And it meant that the publishing duties on the album weren't paid or they were eligible or something like that, eligible or something. But that is a copy of Power Windows that I got signed by the band on the last day of the tour, which I think was just before we flew back into that massive storm in the UK. And I got this and they gave us a promo copy and the boys all signed it. And I didn't, I'd completely forgotten that I had it. And that's kind of where I am with autographs. It's like, I've got, a, a, the other one that I really treasure, which I never asked for, but it's just because he signed it, right? Was, um, I've got, uh, let me think. I'll come back to it. I'm having one of those days today. Ian Banks. Ian Banks gave me a copy of one of his books and he signed it inside. And that's special to me because he was a friend. I also keep a box of uh, stuff sent to me by people who are friends that I keep. You know, where I just keep those letters from them. But they're mainly for the letters or whatever rather than anything else. But autographs. Just before I came, uh, I came on air, right? I wrote a thing to Facebook, and it had been a, a wee bit of a problem because on the on the Facebook page, on the, the the fanbook page, some people had been complaining because others had been putting posts up saying, "I've just got my remaster suit, great, great service from Simona, blah blah blah, all autographed, isn't it brilliant?" And people were going up complaining, well, I got, I got remasters from there and they weren't signed and why weren't they signed? And out of the goodness of her heart, right, and done as a favour, is if somebody had asked for an autograph, like, could you please autograph to my mum or whatever, or could you just do this? We've done it. And some people have asked, you know, could you autograph? And if it was a quiet day and someone gets an order in, then it's like, yeah, we'd sign it, you know, I'd sign it. And I've got to be going through the office at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. So someone's got to get me to go through autographs. She's got to do stuff. And, and she's in the middle of packing and going through her cycles. So people started complaining on the Fish Group page about, you know, well, got, how come mine weren't autographed? So I very sadly had to turn around and say, I can't do it. You know, it's, um, it's a case uh, we cannot physically sign every album that comes out of here. It would create a massive logjam. If someone was waiting on me to sign stuff, and, and to get things packed, and it's all individual orders, different orders and things, so we just went, nah, that's it. And it's a, uh, and this comes down to the autograph, you know? I, I do get a bit irritated, if I, I do get irritated, you know, when you're presented with an entire collection of albums back, you know, in a, in a, 
coming out a gig or whatever, you know, and you just can't do it. And I have been, it has been complained about, right? When I've just said, look, I'll sign the first five. No, another one, no, another one, no, another one. Then it goes around. And it, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, where is the autograph these days, you know? Um, they've kind of changed. I think in the same way as kind of you've got the albums that are up on eBay for, like, stupid money because they're autographed. And, uh, and it was interesting, somebody actually said, the ones that aren't autographed by Fish are probably worth more. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but I mean, it's kind of, it's the way we look at record collections now. You've, I'm very aware, you know, we're looking at eBay and and seeing things out. Uh, and it's, it's been reported, and I'll go on to that in a minute. But, you know, people perceive that the record collections has been some sort of like, like a financial investment. And it's like, rather than being for the music, it's suddenly, how much is it worth? Nothing to do with the content, as much as it's worth. And, uh, you know, you can understand. I mean, I remember, you know, way back in, well, even now, I still do um, interviews with, with magazines that, like, uh, that, that I've got to do, deal with records and the history stuff, et cetera, et cetera, and they put up the catalogue. It's interesting, and, you know, as a fan, to find a rare record, but, you know, autographs have not chased, and people chase you for them all the time, and they want whole entire collections. For me, an autograph is a, a reminder of the fact that you met somebody, you know? Can you, you just, can you just, not, it's like, yeah, I met this guy, you know? Oh, I'll tell you another guy who I've got. I've got Luciana Pavarotti's autograph that I got backstage in, in Glasgow because it was Luciano, you know what I mean? And I was like, and uh, so I've got his autograph when I take it, right? But the whole thing with autographs and them being seen as valuable, I think a lot has happened since eBay and since that entire kind of record trader thing, it kind of grew on eBay and, and, and the internet so that people can find stuff. And, you know, it, it kind of, it, it winds me up sometimes when, you know, you've signed a remaster and then suddenly you're finding on eBay of one of the remasters just for your autograph and you know where it's come from and they're charging like 40 50 quid for it and it kind of annoys me that you know it's like i don't charge for autographs you know I've, I've, it's something I, I i don't want to do you know i don't think it's right to say well if you want my autograph you're gonna have to pay for it you know but if somebody if you meet somebody and somebody asks you, as long as it's not in a toilet when you're standing there with think your hand right which has happened right it's, um, you know, if somebody comes up and politely asks you for an autograph and it's like, no problem, I'll, you know, it's rarely I, I'll turn around unless I'm in a really, really shitty mood or it's just totally inappropriate. You know, if you're having a meal with, with your, you know, if you're out with, with your wife and somebody comes up, excuse me, no. It's like, wait until I've, I'm going at the restaurant or whatever, but not when I'm having a meal. It's like I'm in a personal, private moment now. Sometimes it winds me up, but very rarely, I've got to say very rarely, I'm sure there will be people come up you know, on this timeline and go, oh, I met him once, he was a complete arse and said, told me off because it wouldn't be signed. Standing, signing 40 items at a gig, no, that, you know, one item is great. I'm, in some places you just have to do this. Like if you do an after show signing, remember them. <laughs> after show signings, 
Will there ever be such a thing as an after-show signing after COVID? Unless everybody's sitting there doing gas masks and <laughs> selfies. Because what you could do is you get wear big gas masks and, and, and everything, like, everything peepied up and then send the crew out <laughs> for the gas mask. You could sit in the back and have the, this is me with fish, the guy with a gas mask. Oh, oh sorry, I'm fish, I'm fish, so I'm, I'm fish, me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, autographs. So I was like, and it was interesting, this all kind of spiralled around a, a message that Simone and I got today. And I'm, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, and I'm not meaning to embarrass him by any stretch of imagination, and this is not a dick. But it was, um, this guy had ordered script, and it had been sent out. And we checked the items, especially it was sent out in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, Simona checks them to make sure they're not damaged and stuff like that before they go out. Because if they're damaged, we send them back to Warner's and they pay us back the unit cost of that album, all right? So, you know, it's no odds to us. We don't want to send out damaged items because we know we're going to end up in a... Right? So this guy got one and it had a damaged corner. He showed me a photograph and had a damaged corner. It must have happened in the post. And someone said, uh, okay, really sorry about that. Um, and we'll refund. And so if you want, send the album back and we'll refund it. And then it was like, well, you're going to have to pay postage. And we said, yeah, okay, we'll pay postage. Just wait till we find out how to do this and we'll, we'll pay the postage to take the album back. And then he came back and said, well, rather than pay the most postage, why don't you just give me 10% off the album? Right? <laughs> and we went, actually, no. Send the album back because we're going to send it back to owners and get the money back for it. Right, because we don't really earn that much of these albums. And uh, then he came back and said, oh, as far as I'm aware at this moment in time, as I said, there's no names, no patent on this. And it was like, oh, well, it's like, well, financially, I said, well, if you need it, I'm sorry, but we are now sold out of the, the blue, deluxe Blu-rays of script now. So we can't replace it, so we can only refund you, and we're happy to do that, you know? And, and, and we're happy to refund the postage for you to send this album back, because we've got to move it to Warner's and claim off them. And then he said, you know, 10%. And I went back and I said, sorry, no 10%. And he came back and said, well, uh, and I said, if you're looking for it, go to eBay. And he came back and he said, well, um, well, financially, uh, I'll just keep it. As far as I can get the gist of where he's at, that he's going to keep it now because it's too expensive on eBay and it's worth more, right? And that's it. It's like, you know, the misplaced childhoods and things that are up there for stupid numbers, right? And, you know, we've had people... And we've had to stop it because, you know, and someone keeps an eye on, on, on what's coming in. And there was somebody in Holland that ordered, I think it was three scripts. And it was like, da da da, it's from a cousin, blah, 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 right? And they were all signed. And they, they weren't individually signed, they were just signed, right? And about two weeks later, three weeks later, an order came in from the same guy for another two. This is for da da da. And it was obvious that what was happening was that somebody was basically collecting them because it was a financial thing. You know, that it was like, okay, we're gonna sell it. Don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not getting anything wrong with it, but I mean, I just find as an artist, it's kind of weird, you know, when, you know, with the autograph situation and, and everything, because I've never subscribed to it myself. And it's just interesting to see how some people view their record collections as a financial asset rather than something that is, you know, music for listening to. Right. Anyway, so it looks like the guys decided he's going to keep his slightly damaged script, you know, and uh, and you know, but at the end of the day, 
as I said, regarding the other thing, regarding the arms, I can't sign anything from here because it's just, you know, you try to do it as a favour and it's just, it's causing too much influence. We just went, and Veltschmerz, I've mentioned before, there's no way that I'm signing Veltschmerz before it goes out, you know, like script. I can't do that. It's just physically impossible. The fact my autograph is very small, FSH, I'll take you to another story. FSH, right? Um, with it being small, right? When, with, when I was in Marillion, when we used to have like the American record company, especially, you know, everybody, they all wanted signed albums because they gave them out to all the DJs, right? And all the different press people, right? So I remember one time we were down in that, uh, the manor, uh, the manor house, um, where we were, where was it Woking or whatever, and um, the boxes arrived. <laughs> the van pulled up outside. Two bottles of Jack Daniels. <laughs> there you are. Thank you very much. Plus some other stuff. I'm not going to go in there. And it's like, and a huge load of albums, like boxes and boxes and boxes of albums, right? I think I think it was Clutching or something. And it was, I can't remember which album it was. And because uh, it happened so many times, but that time it was like fish, 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 autographing the albums. Ian Mosley, you know, Peter Chawavis, Steve Rothery. I was in the pub about an hour and a half before the guys had finished signing all their albums. I said, fish, fish, fish. Best thing I ever did. And I came up with that, the name, when I, when I took the name Fish down to Aylesbury, then, and when I joined the band, I went, I've got to have an autograph. And I didn't want to sign it, Derek W. Dick. And there are, there's nothing out there signed, there's no albums out there that are signed Derek W. Dick, nothing, right? That's worth a lot if you ever find that one. But if ever anyone, but it's so effish, and I and I practice it. And on one of the pages of my lyric books, one of my old lyric books that I have, I've got the the vain egotistical Derek <laughs> working out how to do fish as an autograph. And there's all these kind of attempts. And on the first promo photographs that came out with EMI on the market screen, it's a it's a different kind of fish logo. You know, it's um. It'll be for connoisseurs to pick up. Well, he exaggerated the curve on the, on the F, uh, that point, rather than the sharp one, the earlier versions. And, and then, of course, and then of course the interest addition with the, the, the fish head actually being drawn at the bottom of the autograph, and some have the eye and some don't. And we don't understand why some people have the eye and some don't, but we'll be looking into it. The other thing I do is fish can very easily become, right? And... If somebody really, really pisses me off, right? And it was done on the Will, Will Smith, uh, when Will Smith did the, um, his misplaced childhood comic show, right? The comedy show, the stand-up show. And he, we did a film together, which I need to get up on the website at some point, if we can dig it out. We found it, lost it, found it, lost it. And uh, Will comes in and does this thing as, as it's a, a comedy sketch about somebody coming in my load of albums. And I'm sitting there going, da 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 and he goes, oh, I've left some in the car, right? And I go, I hope it's not the whole collection. He said, nearly. And he comes in and the, the, the gag is, there's loads of old albums. And it's like, I'm writing on them. And at the, kind of the end of it, it's like, he's, he looks and he goes, he's written fuck on my album. <laughs> and he's, he goes, another one, he goes, he's written fuck across my entire album collection. Because I told Will, it's, it's something I've done in moments of sheer, sheer badness, right? And I'm sure there's people out there going like, I'm going to check all my autographs just in case he's done it to me. But, um, but yeah, I have done it. But it's only been, I've been severely, severely aggravated. And it was, you know, you, you just, when I'm, when rudeness. Rudeness is something I find very difficult to handle, especially when somebody comes up and 
is want an autograph. If there's rudeness and arrogance in there, my bristles go up immediately, you know, immediately, you know. And um, I'm always reminded of a Peter Hamill line of a song called Energy Vampires, and it's, I've got every one of your records, man, doesn't that mean that I own you, right? And um, sometimes that definitely gets the wrong fish signature. No. So, back to the feed to say hello to people. <laughs> James Hope, Pavarotti's autograph is worth a tenner. Brilliant, great. <laughs> uh, and Congleton Fifeade, good or bad memories, both. I talked about that before. I'll do it another time. I'll show you the poster. My mum gave me, I've, for some reason, I've got, a, I must have given her a poster of Fifeade. And when she cleared the house out down in North Berwick, she gave me the poster, right? And so I've, I've actually found a poster of the Fife Aid gig. So I'll, I'll enrol that for you next week if you're hanging around, kids. Yeah. Uh, Jesse McConnell, mine's not for, mine's not, it's for my years, not for financial gain. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Daddy Stavansky, thank you. Wolfgang Tremel. Yeah. John Watson, yeah, I know. Steve Lawrence. Eli Benson, oh, what's that? You just, make, you just make sure there's a clear financial statement about the value of your work. <laughs> it's, 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 oh, yeah, I'm not good at Martin Locke, I have a signed photo I took of you at Reading Festival and signed when you'd done it. Virgin Records signing in Portsmouth. I would never be parted from me along with my script album. That's it. You know, it's if you meet somebody, you get an autograph and stuff, it's like, great, cool. I met him, shake hands. Remember shaking hands? And, uh, with, that's even gone now. <laughs> it's going to be like putting feet up. Oh, learn as about the John Cleave silly Well, Let's meet up and put souls together. The deal was sealed when the members of the board put souls together. Martin Lindsay love the new t-shirts. Yeah, with this, the t-shirts kind of like were a big thing and then they'd be forgotten about. Those two t-shirts, uh, the UK shirts, like they, they're going to become serious collector's items in the future. Do you remember touring? Do you remember when people used to appear on the stage with guitars? Uh, it's, yeah, oh no, I'm going no, to watch where I go here. Uh, Bob Poff, I go to many fish shows and I've seen, ah, I'm losing it. Gotta come down. Fish, were the signed script deluxe signed or not? I'm confused after what you said about autos. Jeff Kiefer, about autos. Oh, autographs. Yeah, I signed all the script sleeves. It was easy to do script because what happened, we had, you know, relatively, it was a handleable amount. And it was, they were always timed to when you know, for example, when I came off the, before the UK tour and then after the UK tour, and especially when we went down to lockdown, you know, it was like all the scripts were put out and I signed them all. But we can't do that with all the, the remasters because people ordered different ones and to set all that up and nah. But all the scripts were actually signed. But I mean, it's, 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 a, it's big. It's, you know, it was, a, you know, signing, signing those albums. I mean, I, I wish I'd actually done, you know, like, this is how you do the vinyl. Open the box that comes out, take the wrapper off, make sure the wrapper's down, sign it, put it back, make sure it's not bloody. Um, yeah, the scripts were all signed, okay? 
Steve Bezzett, hello, Morag, Sean, I have a poem. Andy Preston, cool, Monic Wadej, hi. Anna Cogleton, oh, you used to have the poster too. Yeah, I don't know how rare those things are. Might be worth a fortune on eBay, especially if I sign it. Yeah. I have got, I've got stuff that you drool over, seriously. I've actually got, right, I'm going to give them to my daughter, right, eventually. Right? And here's what you further left you, a box of signed 10 by 8 photographs in black and white of members of Brilliant and really crappy black and white, all signed by the band. I've actually, for some reason, I ended up with about a, a, a box of 10 by 8s that were all signed by all the band with, the, with, with the, the pointy old fish signature. So I've got all that. But it's, Stephen Arendt, I, my Britain, my autographs are a great photo. I look to, took it. No, so, no still priority. Forgotten sons, love it, good man. Alan Clacy, hello. Uh, go away, go away, go away. Get these emojis off my page. Fraser Slattery, I got my ticket at the gate at Fife Aid off the bikers. Brilliant day. There's a lot of very, very drunk people that day. I remember it was, I, I saw Van Morrison, I think I said this before, I saw Van Morrison from the, the Mexidesk the day after we played. And it was one of the, it was an absolutely brilliant concert. And uh, I was expecting it to be totally crap, but Phil Tame, who'd worked with both myself and Marillion on the sound desk before, asked me up to the, the, the mixing tower. And it was just amazing, absolutely incredible game. And it was in the mist as well, that was hanging around the site, just made it even more special. Uh, Darren Gilder, rooftops was in Wakefields. Yes, I know that, but what happened there? That is the question. And why was I there? Must have been very, very, very drunk. Uh, and Sheldon, what is your favourite album by Peter Hamill? Thank you for introducing me to his work. <sighs> Peter, um, uh, this ties into another question because my favourite. My favourite Peter Hamill album is probably Over. I think I always sold albums, that's my favourite one. And I remember having that with me up in, when I stayed up in near Bucky, when I was in forestry. That was way back in, God, it's like a, it's like a quiz, this thing. Uh, 1977, 1977, I was in out by Bucky and I had the album there. And I used to stay in Boggs Cottages outside Port Gordon. And I had a Technics record deck. And I can't remember what the amp was. I think it was a trio. And uh, the speakers were Wharfdale. Right? And this, that place was cold. I remember one time, I woke up in the morning right, to, to get up to go to work. And I remember the duvet creaked. Right? And there was basically ice on the top of the record deck. In, in my bedroom, right? It was so cold. <laughs> but Over was the album. I used to play it over and over again, excuse me. Um, that and uh, New World Record by Van der Graaf Generator, Still Life. And I have to thank John Marshall, who's a very, very old dear friend of mine who I never see enough, I don't contact enough, and I'm sorry. 
And I, but John introduced me to a lot of music uh, back in my last year of high school. Talking Heads, he got me into it as well. But he got me into Hamill. And Pierre Hamill's voice is a voice that you kind of love or hate, sort of. My girlfriend at the time, Leslie, absolutely hated him. And she would walk out the room if I put a record on. I loved his voice. I thought it was, it was great. And it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was a huge influence, but it was an influence on, on how I approached a lot of delivery and just kind of weird ways to use your voice. But Over was my, my favourite. And the reason this ties into question, because it was, where is it? Tosh sent it in. Oh. Hi, Tosh. Thanks. Uh, oh, da, da, da. Where is it? It was about full studios. Wait a minute, wait a minute, bear with me, bear with me. I've not got the damn thing. Somebody, I'm sorry, asked me about your memories of Full Studios, which is way up the north of Wales, near Mould, right? And I went down with, with um, Elliot, and I'm trying to think the reason why I was down there. I think he was mixing or something. I can't even remember why we were down there. And the reason I remember Full Studios, because I only went down there, I think Elliot was mixing, that's sure that's what it was. And I went down just for to spend the night and then came back again. And uh, it was, I fell in, I, when I went down to it, I was like, wow, it's incredible. And then somebody told me, this is where Peter Hamill uh, recorded the, the Over album. And they showed me the window where the, the photograph was taken. And that was a bit of a moment. Oh, I definitely think that was a bit of a moment. But my memories of the studio were really hazy because I was down and out within, I, like I said, I think I only stayed there a night with Elliot. But Pierre Hamill is, is you know, I, he supported us on the script tour, which was um, a very strange experience, having somebody that is that I looked on as being, it was one of my peers. I mean, I just went, wow, you know? And he was supporting us. And I felt awkward, to be honest. And he was working with John Ellis, who's a brilliant guitarist, and who I tried to get into my lineup when Robin left after a couple of the first time Robin left. And, um, Pierre and John were just doing the, the, the two-man show and it was it was great, it was very intense and a lot of people, you know, really didn't like it. I mean, people talk about Marillion Marush and how difficult it was to support. The Marillion audience back then was not an easy audience to please and support bands had a really hard time and I remember going out there before Peter and John went on and saying, look, this is Peter Hamill, you know, please, respect vibe, you know. And, um, and we kind of became friends. There's a couple of funny stories from there that I won't go into today because we're moving on. But, um, and I met him quite a few times and I, I met him after he had uh, his heart attack. And I, I love the guy. He's a very scary guy. I mean, intellectually and, and he's like, you know, <laughs> you know, he's a scary guy. And uh, I, I love talking to him because he has an amazing sense of humour and a very kind of... Uh, a nice kind of curvy sense of humour. and um, But he's an exceptionally clever guy and I always feel a little bit like, you know, like that with him. But he's cool. Uh, Bill Richards, I lost all my girls, signed albums when I slipped, split with my girlfriend at the time. So hacked off. I've always followed you, bub. Sorry to hear about that, Bill. Maybe she's selling them, maybe you'll be able to buy them back. <laughs> uh, 
Susie Lindoff, greetings from Sweden. Marina Buru, hello. Uh, Andy Shelton Crying Wolf is featured on the Fugazi album cover. It's over, it's featured on the album cover. Oh, the other thing was that Tony Stratton Smith, which was, a, a little, it was one of those little accolades that I got, I was asked to put together uh, an album, a best of Peter Hamill album for the Charisma label, which I was really proud to do that. It was, I think it was called The Love Songs, and uh, it was it was cool. I just did it for myself. It was like in the days of, you know, well, rather than put together like a little tape for yourself, let's get a record company to put an album together just for you. <laughs> Gary Miller, Middletown, USA. Linda Dublin, hello again. Chris Harris. Chris Harris, for those who may not know, Hamill's voice is the high part on Gabriel's Shock the Monkey. Look at the things you learn, eh? Mmm. Ace Finnan, call John, Fishing Friday Skype to old mates. No understand, no comprende. Gary Lowndes, I live in Malt. It's a nice wee place. Been there many times, actually. It's because Yatta, um, Kelvin Boyce Yates. Yatta, my best mate, production manager, he lives down that neck. He's been living around that neck of the woods for a long time. Uh, Alex Keir, hi Fish, will there be any new designs for the two shirts of the December, two shirts of the December, February tour goes ahead? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what's happening. And it's like, um, at the moment, the designs we've got are the ones that we're running with. And, um, it really depends on how this whole game plays out. I mean, you know, if we're looking at, you know, I mean, I've, I, like I said, I still keep my fingers crossed for December in the UK, but I, I don't know what's happening with it. No idea. I wish somebody would just grow up here and make decisions and just say, you know, and it's, but it's weird. It's like, you know, I was watching CNN at lunchtime, right? <laughs> Lots of people going, oh, oh, here we go. So Donald Trump this weekend, tomorrow night, is playing a stadium to 19,000 people, right? And it's uh, in Tulsa. And, you know, they've got masks and, 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 and hand gel and stuff. But, I mean, it's been pointed out, like, you know, are people actually going to wear them? Or as I was cause, called just a couple of weeks ago, because I had a mask on, I was called a snowflake. I took it to jest, right? Did not rise to that one. But yes, there's 19,000 people all cramming into a, a stadium in America, and you just go, you know, nah. It's, uh, it's dangerous. I mean, watching what's happening up in Scotland and, and hearing what First Minister Nicola Sturgeon saying up here, you know, there seems to be a certain sensibility to all that you know that everybody's taking pot shots at her, but you always expect that. And um, but I mean, you know, looking at the way things are, are are happening, especially further down south, it's as if you know people think we've got through it all, and it's uh, and that's kind of scary. And in the same way as in America, when you see the fact that the lockdown's been easy, and you see those figures going up, and then you see Beijing going up, and then just last night, you know, I was you know because. You know, Simone has got family across in Germany, or we've got family in Germany. It's, um, um, you know, it's watching like Neukölln, where I think Dominic is, uh, Dominic, my production manager is. You know, Neukölln's been shut down again. 
and there was two other areas in Germany. So, you know, it ain't over. And I don't think you can get complacent about it. And I think when you, when you look at North America and you see, you know, the cases rising there, it's now, I think this afternoon it was like, they've risen in 25 states. And I know some people out there will say, oh, fake news, fake news, fake news. It's like, this, you know, with all the, the protests and everything else and the general kind of approach, you know, you can see why numbers are going up across the world and things. I know. It's, um, but I mean, 19,000 people in a stadium. But I mean, the interesting thing is you've got to sign a disclaimer saying that, you know, if you catch COVID there, then, you know, it's the president's not liable, you know. And it's, uh, I'm just wondering, like, what's going to happen with gigs? It's like before you come to the gig, you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, fish is not liable if you catch anything, you know. Uh, it's, uh, there's a joke flash by my mind there. I'm not going there. <laughs> but, uh, I've got some ahead though. It's good. But um, but yeah, so 90,000 people in Tulsa this weekend. I mean, you know, hope everybody's going to be okay. But it's uh, that's a, a big risk and a big statement as well. But I mean, it's not over. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're all sitting here and we're still in lockdown. I mean, I'm still waiting to find out what the hell's going to happen with, with my next year or whatever. And, um, you know, but it's, it's, it just seems really weird that, you know, when you think about it, that complacency flips in. I mean, when you see what's happened in Brazil, that freaks me out. And, um, but I mean, you have to carry on, be vigilant. I mean, I think it's, it's being sensible. You know, I think it's, it's, it's being sensible. I think that's the most important thing. It's like, you know, don't take stupid chances, you know? And, um, you know, wearing masks and stuff, I'd choose to do that, you know, because, hey, if I catch something, I don't want to infect anybody else. And uh, it's, um, you know, I'm just trying to be sensible and be safe. You know, as I said, I've got an 87-year-old mother through there. She's doing fine. And But even in the house, you know, I keep my distance, you know, because, you know, we're, we're careful about what we do, you know. And, you know, as I said, I mean, um, I just find it weird that there's going to be a stadium full of people tomorrow, next week and, and musicians around the world will be told that you're not allowed to do it because it's too dangerous and you just have to question why or answer, ask why, you know. That's kind of, it's just weirdness. John Waters, one million requests. Clark, Spay, sorry I'm late. Collecting 14 sheets of corrugated clear iron, corrugated clear roofing, 14 sheets. Why are you building, Clark? Right. Onion drying headquarters. Phil Turner, is Trump playing any of your songs? Trump it is, but not Trump. And in autographs, it's like that is some autograph. You know? When when I when I when I heard that way at the beginning that the president was gonna sign all the checks and you see the length of that autograph, and then you think fish really small one, right? And I was going, this is gonna take him years to put to get all these checks signed. But I've never done that. I know that uh, I know that um, the police they had special machines where they actually you know like it was like Spirograph or was Etch a Sketch or whatever it was where you know they had these robots that could make out the exact signature of the, the three members of the police and the management company inv invested it allegedly. That's what the story goes. So all the police autographs those then were done by these machines. You know, sting, sting, sting. Mm. George Connor, 
yeah, I'm very happy the way Air Force Minister is dealing with this. And, you know, I, I, I like the woman. I mean, even my mother, right, who did, you know, a few years ago, it was, uh, she was not a fan, right? And neither was my dad. My mum thinks she's great. And, uh, and you know, I'm really happy with the way that this is going on. I know there's people complaining. I feel sorry for the people that have got bars and, and beer gardens that can't open up till next week and all the rest of it. And, um, but as was pointed out the other day, it's like, you know, just waiting for another two, three weeks just makes it, you know, a little bit more safer. So when you open up eventually, you're just a little bit more on the right side of the line, you know? And I feel it's worth that. I mean, you know, the guys that keep on shouting economics, economics, yes, it's hard. I'm sitting here, I'm not starving, I'm not, you know, and there's a lot of people out there doing a lot worse than I am, you know, and in a lot shit positions, you know. But I mean, um, it's, uh, I'm trying to be patient. And, you know, as I said, I mean, I've, I, I've mad days as well despite, you know, this big place and having family with me, for people being on their own. I mean, I was, I talked to John Mitchell today, you know, and, and John said, you know, he's, he's been in the house for like the last three months. And, you know, luckily like myself, he's got things to do and get on with, things he can do remotely and be creative and keep himself involved. But I mean, you know, it's like, you know, if I think back to like, you know, before I met Simona, I mean, if I'd been here on my own in this house, I mean, I think, I would be probably in a very different mindset at this moment in time. Uh, John Ward, do you wear a mask when you're out? Yes, I do. Every time I go out, I wear a mask, and so does Simona. And I carry a hand sanitizer. I've got a bottle in my car, so when I go out, it's like I put it on my hands, and then when I come back, I put it back in my hands, wipe the steering wheel, da da da. And then after I've done the shopping, I take care. As I said, I've got an 87-year-old mother through there. That if she got a whiff you know, it's like, we'll be kissing goodbye in an ambulance, you know, and I don't want that, you know. That is probably the shittiest thing that could ever possibly happen to somebody, is to lose a loved one, you know, have to say goodbye to a loved one, getting taken away in an ambulance and never been able to see them again. That, for me, is absolutely fucking horrific, you know. Uh, sorry, I just went off on one there. Roger Bowden, when are your masks going on the shop for sale? They're not masks, they're buffs, you know, I mean... They're not masks, right? You can turn them, you can use them as masks, but you know, they're not clinical medical masks or whatever. I don't know, we're waiting on them coming across. We had the design that I've got, but this, there was the design was, there was a flaw in it and I didn't want it to use them. So we're waiting on the new ones coming. We're expecting them probably this week when we get them. If you wear them, wear a handkerchief or something underneath it just to give you a bit of extra protection, you know? I don't care if somebody calls me a snowflake. I, have, I just don't give a damn, right? It's like, if I can do something that makes it just a little bit better, and like, if I did catch it, and I've gave, if I gave it to somebody, then it was like, that, well, I'd find out. You know, so it's like, what's, why is everybody making such a big deal? You're not getting told, wear it if you want it. I choose to wear it, because it's like, I'm thoughtful. I don't know. Uh, but it's like, I don't know why some people get so upset about, you know, wearing a mask, you know? Ah, James, yeah, Wales and Scotland, the same path, slow and steady, and the Northern Irish as well, you know. It's, you know, I've, I've got my, my stepson, Liam, you know, he's, he's through there. And he's hoping, he was going to take a, a, a gap year, and he does animation, that's what he wants to, to, to go into, right. 
and he's been teaching himself Japanese for about the last year and stuff. And he wanted to go away to Japan, and it was great, and we'd, it was kind of getting set up, you know. And then, of course, this happened, so Japan's gone, and he was going to take a gap year. So now the gap year is gone, so he's in a situation where he's trying to get into Edinburgh University, and um, he's, he's got to wait on that because, you know, it's too late. He's got to wait on, on, on if there's anybody, excuse me, anybody who dropped out. And, uh, and we really need to get him to get him into Edinburgh University as soon as possible. He needs to be in his own flat. Because, because Steve Vances, my bass player, decided to get him into playing a bass guitar, right? Which is only slightly down from drums as far as like living where like a musician goes, right? So there's a revenge thing because, because I'm a bit older and my ears are a little bit rubbed off here, you know, we hear it's not what it was, right? The TV's up a bit loud and he often complains about the TV, you know, the sound of the old people listening to TV. So Steve basically turned around and said, oh, you ever thought about playing bass guitar wee man, right? Here, play my bass guitar, it's great. <laughs> Liam falls in love with it, suddenly I've got a bass guitarist living in the back end room with an amplifier, right? So now we're sitting watching The Wire, you know, which we've just got really into this time, right? Watching the wire at the moment. Now you do 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 Nah, he's actually quite good, right? But thank you, Steve, for giving us a bass guitarist in the house. Just really what we didn't need, no? Robert Marotta, thank you. Kenny Gordon, thank you. Andy Shelton, is the book mask still available? Yeah, it is. That's another one. You go on eBay, you'll find Mask selling for stupid money. We've been selling it here for a tenner for like, you know, ages. We've had loads of them here for years. So, you know, how come somebody goes on eBay and doesn't think about, oh, oh, 40 quid, I'll buy that. So, all the stuff, all the albums, apart from, apart from Vigil, which belongs to Warner, that's another story. That's, I'll do that another thing, right? Rerooks, yes. Greg Caleb. <laughs> Robert McKellen, Lachlan Hamilton. I saw the fact you all fish a tenor. Nice. Mark Skinner, hello. Paulo Cesar, Goria, Yanero. That's a name. <laughs> hello, Malcolm Reese, Steve Jones, Gabriel Hodge. Yep. Linda Dublin, Barbara Morato. Um, well, it's, we're moving up to song time. What I thought this week, playing something a bit longer. In fact, it's the right time to play it. Um, people have been asking about uh, the songs on Parley, right? Um, as, as, as have they been re-recorded? No, right? It's the same musicians, the same lineup. But what you're going to hear, right, is, a, is the new mix of Waverly Steps, right? And Mark Wilkinson, uh, to sum this up, Mark Wilkinson said to me the other day after hearing the album, he's one of the very few people that's actually heard the full album straight the way through. And um, Waverly Steps is on, at the end of the second, the penultimate song on the, the second CD, Velchmerz ends the album. 
But Waverly Steps is sitting there, and you, when I had a big rose of Damascus at 16 minutes, which is, it's epic, right? I mean, it's, it's, that was the song that probably, you're gonna go, that's the one that ends the album, right? It was, it was it's so big, and I thought, no. Let's put this at the end of the first CD. And then I'm looking at the end of the second CD, and I knew what Waverly Steps sounded like on Parley. And Mark said that, when he first heard Waverly on Parley, he wasn't totally blown away and he didn't think it had much energy. Then when he heard it live on the 2018 tour, he thought it was like, wow, what Callum has done is found sonically. Don't ask me how he does it. He has magic fingers, very small magic fingers. And Callum has just adjusted EQs and positions and placed things differently. And the whole track is sprung open. And when I heard the track mixed for this new mix, when I heard it in the placement, it's a great penultimate song. And Velchmerz just follows it perfectly. It's the correct curve on the album. So what I want to do when I get this sorted out, look at this. I'll now go looking for the remote. Oh dear, where is it? It must be under the couch or somewhere. For it is here. My heat CD player. So this is Waverly Steps. So people said, well, what's the difference? It's very different. You're going to hear this. And Waverly Steps, Little Man What Now and Man With A Stick have all been completely re-looked at and remixed for this album. So when you hear the album, I mean, it actually sounds like an album. Believe me. And this, if I've got it right, is the remix of Waverly Steps. At the back of the train, he stares out the window. The carriage is empty, commuting is done. It's the His fingers brushed the sticky 
different. I think Velchbet's coming in the back of it. This is what happens in the album. That's what you get them. But like I said, I, I told you in the previous broadcast, it was like, Getting the album, the tracking right, and getting the gaps between the tracks right, so you're just sitting down. Waverly Steps, as I said, I mean, when I put it in, I was nervous, but the remix that Callum has done of this is absolutely stupendous. It's just brilliant. And, um, you know, I'm playing it here on the Kefs, and um, it's, um, it's awesome. I've not really turned it up yet, but my mum heard it the other night, and she thought it was brilliant. So, as I said, Ogre Whistle Test, can't fail. Right? It's half past seven, just past. Manuel Diaz, glad you liked it. Yeah, this is, the only thing is, I remember when, kind of, I remember when I heard stuff like, you know, Rick Waitman's Six Wives and things like that, and, or heard, uh, you know, 
some of the, the ELP stuff when I was a kid, you know, you just, you just want to do that. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll keep up here, I can do that. <laughs> I just think, it's like, if there's a generation hopefully going to discover this album, right? And I'm just hoping there's going to be like people going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the Rick Wayman, that's another story. It's great because it's when I do these, I get reminded sometimes of little things that I kind of forget about. And, uh, it's just interesting to be stories. But um, anyway. Yeah, Kevin Madoc, good. Claude Popvin, Alan Budge, could I get an autograph copy? Ha <laughs> ha, I'm glad you put smileys after that. Otherwise, I would have had to set the dogs on you. No. Justin Ross, good, yeah. Bob, Bob Hoff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Should know. Darren Gill, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. The, the remix is... And Little Man is just awesome as well. It's just, I'm really, I'm chuffed with it. When I heard the album, I went, I mean, I, this isn't marketing kind of promotion shit. This is like, you know, it's, you know, it's, I'm happy with it. And when I want to listen to an album, and when I want to listen to, to music, at the moment, it's great, it's fresh, it's, you know, and, um, and I'm really loving listening to it. I'm actually liking listening to my own album, which is kind of, when I had Feast, it was, yeah, that bit in, you know, but this one is just special. It's just, because it's, it's so many different colours and uh, everything. Anyway, enough of that, enough of that, enough of that. So, let's see what we can hit with. Oh, it's, what's the fish feeding on tonight? As was pointed out, the, the only reason is that on a Friday, because I do this, and Simona kind of makes dinner. So it's, uh, and after that, we have the weekend. Tomorrow is gardening. Sunday is going to be canoeing. It looks like going by the weather report. I'll be listening to Liam on Channel 4 tonight to get the full gist of it all. So, uh, you know, when I do fishing Friday, then it's like Saturday. It's like, oh, and someone can't do orders because well, she prepared, but nothing goes out till Monday because of the Royal Mail. So the weekend is kind of ours. And of course, f Sunday being Father's Day, I'm really hoping, hoping that my daughter Tara is going to be coming down. I just hope she can, but I understand weather's going to be absolutely shitty. When you saw the, the, the dark blue bits and the green bits in the middle coming across you, it's like, pff, it's like what Steve Vance has had with his Transformer with the lightning. Martin Kennedy, what's for dinner? Darling! Simona, love, what's for dinner tonight? Um, linguine with king prawns and salad. Rock on. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. And watching The Wire. It's, uh, Dave Barris was round, as I said, filming the, the, filming the, the stuff for the video with suitable social distancing. And, it, we, you know, it's as we get on, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, it's everybody's like nowadays when they locked up, we're all going like, so what are you watching? What you want? Have you got any hints? People searching for, for things on Netflix and stuff to, to watch, right? One, I'm saying nothing more, right? It's, uh, as I said, you know, if you want an eye-opening documentary, and this really popped my eyes out, right? Watch The 13th Amendment on Netflix. Take it as you want, you know, but watch it and decipher kind of where things are at. It's uh, stuff I never, ever knew about, and it was a, a huge insight into some quite disturbing issues. The 13th Amendment. 
The other one that Dave Barris recommended to me, and one that I'd avoided, I don't know why, was The Wire, right? When The Wire first came out, I thought it was something about American prisons or something like that, and I went, you know what, I can't be bothered. You know, it's like, and I bypassed it in the series, it's five now or something. And Dave said, you've got to watch it, it's really worth watching, you know, because you, he explained, when Dave Barris and I get together, Dave Barris, daffodils. Um, when Dave and I get together, I love it, because we, we talk movies and we talk production, because Dave's a, a director, he's working with Electric Man, which he's trying to get into, into a, a big production. Now, so he's excited, I'm excited, and when we get together, it's great to talk movies and, and, and dissect and, and listen, you know, I'm used to, when I'm with musicians or other musicians and we talk about albums, we can talk about technical aspects as well as the overall thing. And it's the same with David, like we can talk about technical aspects of movies and things, and I, I love it. And he said, The Wire, watch The Wire. And I find it, it's, it's really interesting. Because the first series was shot kind of, or it involves the timeline that's kind of after 9-11 and the technology around at that time, you know, people in pagers and, you know, and, you know, people writing up reports with typewriters, you know, and, and maybe we might get a computer. And I found it really interesting to see how the police setup was after everything that's been going on in the last couple of weeks about Black Lives Matter and things and about everything that's going on with the American police. It was interesting to get an insight, although I completely you know, appreciate it's done for dramatic purposes, et cetera, et cetera. But the guys that were involved with writing it, one of them was, was actually uh, in the Baltimore Police Department, seemingly. And, um, but seeing how the way that the American police is set up compared to like how I know that the, the British police is set up, and throwing in the element of guns and stuff. And then with everything that's going on, I'm finding it a very interesting programme to watch just now. And uh, as I said, we've embarked on series one. And, uh, and it's, it's great, I'm really liking it. So if you've not watched The Wire, I'd suggest giving it a go. I watched, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Five Bloods, the new Spike Lee film. Uh, I watched that last week. Um, wasn't completely blown away by it. It was full of what I call sleeping policemen, where you've got a kind of flow and it kind of bumps and takes you away from it. You know, the same way sometimes when you listen to music, you get a bad mix or something pokes out and it just takes your feel away. And I found that with the Spike Lee film. Subject matter was great. It was kind of strangely, it was a strange film because sometimes it reminded me of Quentin Tarantino and there was a lot of hits, uh, tips of the hat to, uh, was it the gold of Sierra, Mad Sierra Madre, which was Humphrey Bogart. And there was that very Humphrey Bogart section in the film where he's escaping with the gold, which is Humphrey Bogart in the treasure of the Sierra, Sierra Madre. And there was a couple of other kind of little, you know, jinx, which is great. I just found it a kind of disjointed film. Saw what it was trying to get, got the message from it, and you know, which, um, with the army question, which is one that I've taken, which somebody's asked me about, you know, experiences and how did I get involved with working for the, the, with the British Army and, and, and UN and stuff in Bosnia. I'll do that another day. But yeah, so we just talk about things to watch. 30th Amendment, yep. Wire, if you've not seen it, like, like that. Another one I really liked was, uh, the, uh, was it The Amazing Mrs. Maisel? And um, Incredible Mrs. Maisel? Anyway, Mrs. Maisel. 
And that was a really interesting, I loved the writing on that because the writers must have had an absolute ball because being brought up on stuff like I Love Lucy and, and those classic old, you know, late 60s kind of uh, American sitcoms that came across to us. The, um, as a writer, it must have been incredible because they were writing and they're basically writing as if it's like a, a, an old fashioned sitcom. And you've got flats and, and sets that were very similar to those kind of TV sets. And at the same time, you have uh, Mrs. Maisel's uh, comedy act, which is, you know, definitely feeds off the whole Lenny Bruce vibe. And I found the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. And um, it was interesting to see Mrs. Maisel's kind of stand-up performance and see how it's kind of, it's a kind of bit saccharine, well, Lenny Bruce very saccharine, but I mean, um, you know, it's a bit edgy for the time, yeah, it must have been really, really edgy, but, uh, but for, as I said, for writers to be writing basically copy sitcoms and then writing for characters within that and then writing a stand-up set, you know, it was like, it's amazing piece of comedy writing, you know, you know as a complete piece. And I, well, I did the three series. The first, I have to say, was my favourite, uh, but although there was episodes in the further two that were good. That's kind of where I am. Reading books, I'm not kind of doing much at the moment because I'm just too involved with the album. Um, Raymond Van Jeek, Breaking Bread, Big Jeans, Wire is brilliant. Cardinal's worth watching. I saw Cardinal. Thanks, Big Jardine. It was, uh, I saw that. I'll give it a wee shifty. It's um, a BBC. Uh, Ace Finnan's still got a pager. No. I never had a pager, you know. I remember when they were about, when, when we were EMI and some of the promo guys had them in the 50s and things, in the 1850s. Oh, when I was saying EMI in the 50s, probably Frank Sinatra was a big friend. Shane King, Prawns. Greg Bateman. <laughs> if they were scuttling around in dry land, you wouldn't eat them. Insect of the sea. They're all right. I like prawns. I never used to like a lot of shellfish and I had an aversion to them. I think it had to do with eating a jar of mussels that I stole out of my dad's cupboard. Where he had a cupboard in the house where they kept all the sweeties, and we ate a bunch of mussels that were in a jar, and they must have been year. They must have come from the Second World War. I was very, very ill, very ill. Andy Sheldon, enjoy the work in ranking. Yeah, very great, great author. Sadly missed. Great guy. The Widow is also good fish. Claude Potvin, don't know that one. Oh God. Paulo Cesar, Correa, Janeiro, don't even ask those kind of questions. They're very silly. Right. Watch Four Brothers, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I've seen that. That's a great movie as well. Great movie. Five Bloods was a big, big letdown. Two heavily, ha two heavily handed points made. Martin McGee. Yep, I agree with you. I agree with you. John Waters, Spike Lee fan, fan. Films have too much agenda. You know, so what? Uh... Hack, oh, don't miss it. Marvellous Mrs. Mayo, yes. Laurie Fairweather, hello. Raymond Van Jeek, hello. Dick, Jeek, Dick, Dick, innit? D-I-J-K, Dick, same as me. Dick is supposed to mean big, by the way, right? It's big. Dick, Dick in German is fat. I got hit, like, double whammy at school, Dougie High School, right? So... When they lined us all up, it's like there was you know eight classes and there was seven French and one German. It was like French, 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 German, French, 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 French. And of course, when the pointer came up for German, wah, I got German. 
There's me, big fat teenager, Dick means German, in fact, I like, oh great, it was just another rod for my back. And people ask me, why did I need the name Fish? With a name like Derek Willie Dick, you, a nickname of Fish, it's wonderful. But when I went to America, the first time it was like, you'd go up to receptionists and you'd be like embarrassed when they start sniggering. See now, I just look them straight in the eye, right? What we do in the shadows has, has been a hoot. I've not seen that one. Darren Gilder, you would have been a millionaire if you'd have stayed with Marillion. Would I, really? <laughs> there are some things more important than money and I'm very happy where I am at the moment. Very happy. Lee Moran. Oh, I missed it, I missed it. Well, I've got to go down the timeline. Alberto Ticino from Italy, hello. Uh, Colin Howden, recommendation if you haven't seen it, The Leftovers, Leftovers, right? I should have, the wife, them. we usually take notes when people come around and you should watch this. Oh yeah, I can just, just, uh, just a bit, you know, whole list. Michael Hardy from Newcastle, uh, Steve Bizet, White Lines was good. I saw that one, I thought about that as well, you know. Uh, Unabomber's a good watch. Kinserbi, uh, yeah, I've seen that one as well. Killing Eve, very addictive. Killing Eve first series, I, the, the first one was brilliant. Second one, I didn't really like, and I saw the reviews for the new one, and I just went off it. It's kind of, I think one of the reviews was, you know, Killing Eve, it's like, when is she finally going to die? And uh, I think that's the problem nowadays. I think with a lot of series, in the same way as, you know, at the, the, in the big cinema, when you've got, like, the, the Marvel comics and stuff, and it runs on and on and on, number three, Despicable Me, number three, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's one of the problems is in that, um, you know, there's a great series, and then they follow it up, and, you know, it's not as good, and then they're just eking it out, you know? And sometimes, <sighs> sometimes programmes going to be shot in the head, I'm afraid, and buried out in the backyard. And uh, it's been a couple like that where I've been really disappointed as it's gone on and just become watered down and just the formula. You know, the same way as a musician, you know, when you're putting albums together, it's so easy. I mean, some people go, why don't you do another album like Script for Jess this year? Because it's been done. And I think the same way it's like with, with some of the Netflix series, sometimes there comes a point where you've just got to go, okay, well, we've got the characters, but because we've got to move on. Got to move on, do something new. So, but it's interesting, you know, as we all, are, you know, watching a lot more TV at night. And um, it's, uh, like I said before, you know, I'm a news junkie, but I mean, I've been definitely weaning myself off uh, in, in weeks. Sometimes it just pulls you down. You know, you just go into the well head first. It's all full of bats, right? Uh, Ian Rankin is still going strong. Sorry, I was thinking Ian, but Ian Rankin's so, oh, phew. Ian Banks, I miss. Ian Rankin, I miss, for another reason. Ian Banks, I miss because he's left us. Ian Rankin, I miss, because he's a great guy. And I really, we've always met up and never had quite enough time together. We've had good moments, but like, I, he's somebody I'd like to go out for a night with and have a good natter with. Um, right, it's time to, I'm gonna have to call it, because I have things to do. I've got prawns to eat, it's uh, prawns and um, linguine, which is, I like linguine. Fish stock, brilliant. Somebody was asking about, uh, I mentioned before about celeriac. 
right? Um, celeriac's one of my wife's favourite vegetables. She uses it a lot in, in soups and things. But I was on about celeriac steaks because my, my, my stepson Liam's a, a vegetarian, so we have vegetarian food twice, maybe three times a week. Celeriac steaks, just take a big celeriac, right? I just cut it into, into steaks like sirloins, you know, just cut it down. Eggs and... What? Celeriac schnitzel. Celeriac schnitzel, it's my wife calls it. You want to tell them how you do it? Someone will tell you, this is... It's cookery moment. You like this? <laughs> Hello. Cut it in slices, maybe a centimeter thick, and then just do it like a schnitzel in um, a mixed, slightly mixed egg with salt and pepper, and then um, breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs. Yeah. And then fry it for how long? And then fry it. Oh yeah, not too hot. Maybe 15 minutes? 15 minutes. Maybe. So I, never, I never check the time. Both you sides, will see it. Seven, yeah, I'll turn it around a few times, maybe. Yeah. There you are. Okay. So, <laughs> Larissa, thank you, thank you very much, Mr. Jake. Welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, celeriac schnitzel. So like about 15 minutes, seven and a half minutes each side. Don't even burn it, you know, just the same as you do, kind of like when you're doing bread and fish. So it's uh, kind of cool, kind of cool. So that's it. Um, it's Friday. It's actually quite nice outside. It's got that nice humidity and fresh air. I've had some rain today. As I said, tomorrow's supposed to be sunny. I'm in the garden. I've got things to do. I've got tomatoes to feed because they're all starting to like, you know, develop fruit and stuff, which is fantastic. And I've got a lot of things to tidy up, do and, and sort out and look after. Uh, I've got another 2000 words of the sleeve notes to write. I've got to listen to the five to one mixes. Avril and Andy, I promise you'll do it. Steve Vances, I promise you'll listen to the live mixes. And I've got a lot of other stuff. I just said it was a weekend free and I've just like declared that I've got a lot of work to do. But that's kind of how it is here. It's just, it's, there's like loads of things going on all the time. You know, like I said, there's a long time ago. I'm still waiting on the t-shirt cartoon, or the t-shirt for the cartoon for the t-shirt, I should say. So Andy from Luxembourg, if you're looking, get your finger out, please. And we're still waiting on other bits and pieces. But um, that's it. That's another week gone. That was number 13, week 13, right? Week 13, that's just like being told the other day that Misplaced Childhood was 35 years old. It was released two days ago, 35 years ago. And this is week 13 of lockdown. I'm okay. Someone is fine, as you can see. Liam's fine through there. He's got a liking for, and between the bass playing, right? He's in bonsai trees. So he's been, he's learning how to snip bonsai trees and doing very well. Uh, as I said, hopefully my daughter and her boyfriend will be down here on the Sunday for a quick visit. Uh, my mum's doing fine through there. She's um, weeding and it, Sunday's going to be a jigsaw day, it looks like. So, until next Friday, uh, until the next time you see me again, take care, stay alive, um, do what you can to look after others as well. You know, it's because it's not just looking after you, you're looking after other people and stuff. And just uh, be soulful, be sane, be healthy, and uh, just watch after yourselves, okay? It'll all end sometime, you know? Okay. Bye bye.